Good morning, Altoona Regular Baptist Church, and welcome. It is Sunday, June 7th, and this is our morning service. As I do every morning, I invite you to grab your Bible. Join us this morning in John 4, John chapter 4. We'll be looking at the end of the chapter, verses 43 to 54. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you, get up, get a Bible, open it up, and follow along. It's important for you to see, not just to hear what I'm saying, but to see what God has said. And His Spirit will work, Lord willing, through His Word for our good and for His glory. We'll pray, and then we'll read the passage, John 4, 43-54. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for another day. We praise you for your word, for the opportunity this morning to gather around your word wherever we may be, to open your word freely, to know that, that the word which you have given us is truth. It is not any one man's private interpretation. It's the word of God is breathed out through the spirit of God, through the men of God as they wrote. We pray this morning that we would honor you as we listen to your word. That we would pay attention, that you would cause distractions to, to fade away, and that we would hone in on what you are saying. That your spirit would work this morning for our good. We pray that you would invade our hearts even this morning, Father. That we would be open to your leading and to your working within us. That you would open our eyes to sin that may be in our lives. And that you would change us for your glory. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The end of John 4, John 4, 43 to 54. Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man departed and believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at about the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. According to the dictionary, the word contrast 
means the state of being strikingly different from something else in juxtaposition or close association. A contrast is the state of being strikingly different. There's many contrasts that we see in life. There's a contrast between night, the darkness of night, and the light of day. In fact, that's a cultural saying that we use all the time, is it not? It was like night and day. A contrast, a difference, a striking difference. When I think of the word contrast, my mind goes to this one neighborhood when, when my wife, when Krista and I were living in Indianapolis. There's this one part of the city that was just particularly worn down. It's a particular part of the city that, that was falling apart, was not well cared for. But as you'd be driving through this, this neighborhood, you'd come to these three streets that stood out strikingly against the backdrop. In the midst of this neighborhood that is falling apart, there are three streets where the homes are beautiful. They've been cared for. They've been painted. The, the lawns are taken care of. They're manicured. The streets are, are beautifully paved. These three neighborhoods were part of, a, one, of the, one of the most historic neighborhoods in Indianapolis. And so the city poured lots of resources into it. They took care of it. But those three streets, that historic section, stood out in stark contrast to the crumbling city around it. Just a few months ago, we here in Iowa saw an extreme contrast in the midst of one day. If you remember, there was two or three days and one week several months ago where we woke up to a few inches of snow on the ground. And yet by the end of that day, in fact by the middle of the afternoon of that day, all the snow had melted and it was up to 60 degrees. In fact, I had neighbors who, who mowed their lawn. There had been snow on the ground in the morning and yet in the afternoon they're mowing their lawn. A stark contrast, a state of being strikingly different. As we come to John 4 this morning, we see another stark contrast. In John 4, we see the reception of the Samaritans. We see their view, their acceptance of Christ, and in stark contrast to that, it's just his own people and their attitude towards him. As we work our way through this passage, John 4, 43 to 54 this morning, we'll see the setting, the problem, and the sign. As we come to verses 43 to 45, we see the setting. Verse 43 starts out, Now after two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. After two days. If you remember in verses 40 to 41, after coming to the Samaritans, after they've heard Jesus speak at first, they beg him, they implore him then to stay two days. The Samaritans had come to him. They urged him to stay with them. And so he stays two days. Verse 43 picks up at the end of those two days. After two days. These two days in which he has stayed, in which he has ministered, in which verse 41 tells us many more believed because of his own word. 
the end of that time, it comes time to, to go on. And so he departed from there, from Sychar in Samaria, and he went down to Galilee. His original destination, as we see in verses 3 to 4, as he had originally set out from Judea, he had set out for Galilee. Verse 44, though, adds an, an, an interesting addition. Really, it tells us why. Why was Jesus in such a hurry to get to Galilee? Why didn't he stay here in Sychar where he clearly had been accepted? Where these men and, and these women, the city, they want to hear from him. They want to learn from him. They've accepted him. Verse 44 is actually a very interesting verse. It says, For he decided to leave after two days to go to Galilee. For, for this reason, because Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. That doesn't really make sense to us. Why would Jesus leave Sychar, where he's been accepted, to go to his own country, to his people, to the Jews in Galilee, where he knows he won't be accepted? Why leave where you are accepted, where your ministry seems to be flourishing, to where you won't be accepted? Part of that, part of the answer to that question comes earlier in chapter 4. As the Samaritan woman is back into the, in, in her city and Jesus is talking with his disciples and he tells them, I have food of which you do not know. In verse 34 he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus is on a mission. He has a purpose. And he must accomplish that purpose. And so he goes. He goes to a people where he knows that he will not be accepted. To a people where he knows that he has no honor. In fact, we see this even in John 7 verse 5. It tells us that his own brothers did not believe him. But he goes to this region, he goes to this people. Even as John 1 foretold at the very beginning of the book, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 44 is a bit of foreshadowing. It begins the stark contrast of this passage between the Samaritans' acceptance of Jesus and the Jews' hesitance. He's leaving from where he's been accepted and he's going to where he knows there's no honor. But he goes. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, when he got there, the Galileans received him. So they did receive him. That seems to contradict verse 44. I thought you said there was no honor. But notice... What this verse goes on to say, they did receive him. Why? Because they've seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. They receive him. They're excited to have him back. But they accept him. They receive him not as Christ. 
They're not interested in hearing what he has to say, rather they're interested in seeing what he can do. They accept him as a miracle worker, not as the Son of God. So as we come to these verses, verse 43, 44, and 45, that set the scene for this passage, this is what we see. Jesus committed to the ministry that his father has sent him on, leaves the Samaritans where his ministry is thriving, and he comes to his own people, to his own region where he grew up, those who know him best, despite the fact that he knows that he has no honor among them. And as he comes, we see that. Right from the very beginning, as they receive him, but, but not as the Christ, not as the, as the Savior of the world, as the Samaritans had received him. They receive him as a miracle worker. They're excited to hear not what he has to say, but to see what he can do. As we move to the rest of this passage now, the stage is set. The contrast has begun. And we'll see it as it works its way forward in this passage. Verses 43 to 45 is the setting. As we come to verse 46 to 50 then we see the problem. The setting and now the problem. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water to wine. If you remember in John 2, the very beginning, and there, at this place, at Cana, was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. This nobleman was probably a, a high-ranking official in the area, under Herod Antipas, Tetrarch, over Galilee. He was in charge of this area. He had been put in charge by Rome. So this nobleman has a high position, he's, he's, he's a man of authority, yet he comes from Capernaum. It's a long journey, Capernaum's 20 miles away. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judah into Galilee, he went to him. He went to him. He went to him for a specific reason. He went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Apparently, this nobleman had heard about Jesus. Maybe being in this area, he'd heard rumors of what had happened at the wedding at Cana. Maybe, like, like many of the other Jews, he had gone to Jerusalem, he had seen what Jesus had done there. Regardless of how he knew, how he had heard, he had heard. He had heard that Jesus could do some amazing things, and so when Jesus comes to the area, he has a problem, and so he comes to Jesus. And he implored him. He pleads with him. On his knees, he begs him. It, it, it gives you a picture of how, how, how desperate he is. 
As a parent, you can just imagine his desperation as the passage goes on to tell us that his son is at the point of death. He's so desperate that this, this nobleman, known throughout this entire region, would come and would beg a carpenter from a lowly family in the area. He would beg him to calm down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. It's a desperate situation, a desperate man pleading for help. But notice that there is no acknowledgement here of who Jesus is. He's not concerned about why Jesus is here. He's not concerned about hearing Jesus' message or, or who Jesus is. He's only concerned with what Jesus can do for him. In fact, we see that in Jesus' response to him in verse 48. Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. You see, this, this nobleman embodies the attitude of the whole people in this area. And in fact, when Jesus responds to him, he responds to the people, unless you people, all of you. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. These people are like the people in verse in chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. If you remember that passage, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in him when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew them. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he himself knew what was in man. These are just like the people in Jerusalem who were interested in Jesus when they saw his works. But Jesus knows their hearts. This man is not coming to Jesus in faith. He's not coming to Jesus because he believes that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus can heal his son. Rather, he is coming desperately to Jesus, looking for a reason to believe. Reminds me of those, the situations you always see on movies or, or in books or wherever it is where someone's in a desperate situation. And they pray this quick prayer, God, if you will, if you will get me out of this, I promise I will serve you with the rest of my life. Their seeming faith in that moment is not based on who God is. It's not based on the fact that they are sinners before our holy God and they need forgiveness. Rather, it's based on a, a desperate situation in which they find themselves and they need to get out of. It's based in the immediate. And that's what we see here, this this. 
nobleman, this official, has come to Jesus not because he believes Jesus, but rather because he's desperately looking for a reason to believe. If you can come and you can heal my son, then I will believe you. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll by no means believe. The problem here is not with signs. Signs serve a purpose. Jesus does signs. They, they authenticate Jesus' message. They show that He is the Christ. And there are many who, who see those signs and then who turn in faith. Authentically. But the problem is with the arrogance and the lack of faith of those who demand a sign. I won't believe unless you can do this for me. They miss the whole point that Jesus is not here to entertain them. He's not here to be used for their purposes. Jesus is here because of a greater need. Because of their sin and their need of a Savior. Verse 49, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's undeterred by Jesus' rebuke. He continues to plead. And yet his desperate cry continues to show his lack of faith. You see, he assumes that Jesus needs to be where the child is. Come down. Come down. Come 20 miles with me to Capernaum so you can be where my child is. So that you can heal him before he dies. He assumes that Jesus needs to be where the child is, but he also assumes that Jesus needs to act before the child dies. Does understand that Jesus is God. Jesus is not limited. His power is not limited by space or by time. After you see that in Jesus' response to him, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. Jesus rebuked him, the man continues to plea, and so Jesus then heals his son. But notice how Jesus does this. Jesus does it in a way in which the nobleman is forced to have faith. He's forced to believe before he sees the miracle. Jesus does not go with him. Rather, Jesus heals the boy immediately, right there and then. The official is forced at that moment to believe. See, only God can heal from 20 miles away. This is not some kind of magic trick. 
It's not some kind of magic potion. It's the work of God. And for this official to turn around and to leave and to start the, the two, three day trip back, the 20 miles, to start walking that again, to turn around and to go home, forces him to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has acted, that his word is true. And that's what we see. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. A desperate man who misunderstood who Jesus was leaves a believer. And his action of leaving shows his faith. He has no other choice but to believe. Jesus isn't coming with him. So he has to turn around and he has to believe and he has to go home. And he does. He believes. And he went his way. So you come to verse 51 to 54, then we see the sign. So he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. I wonder what this looked like. I can imagine in my mind's eyes this man leaves Jesus. And he does believe. That's what verse 50 tells us. The man believed. He believed enough to, to turn around and to go home. But you have to imagine that on this long walk, on these 20 miles as he's walking along, You have to imagine that doubt starts to seep in. It has to. I know myself. How easy it is to, to doubt. And I wonder what it looked like as he's on his way home and he looks down the path and he sees some of his servants. He sees a group running maybe in the distance, and, and as he gets closer, he realizes that they're his servants. And so now he knows, in the next few minutes, I'm going to get some news. And before he can see the expressions on their face, I'm sure he's wondering, is this going to be good news or bad news? I'm sure he was wrestling to believe Jesus said he said he was healed. I believe he's healed. Please be good news. I can imagine the relief, the reunion when they come up and they say, Your son lives. Your son lives. He inquired of them the hour he got better, and they said, Yesterday, the seventh hour. At that moment, he knows that this is Jesus' doing. Because that was the time when Jesus said, Your son lives. And so that he himself believed. 
He already believed in Jesus. In verse 50, he believed enough to turn around and to leave, to start that journey back without Jesus. But now his strength is, is infinitely, his faith is infinitely strengthened. Not only did he believe that God could do this, but now he has seen the evidence that God did do this. Now he's not believing because he saw the sign, because he already believed before that, but now the sign strengthens his faith. Not only that, but his whole household believes. As he goes back and he, and he testifies, this is what Jesus said. And this is what happened. They all believe. And the application that this passage screams out is that you too would believe. Verse 54 adds this. This again is the second sign that Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. It's the second sign that he's done in Galilee. He's turned water into wine, and now he's healed the official son. And the first point of application is, will you believe? See, saving faith is simple faith. It's simply believing that you are a sinner, that your sin does separate you from God, and that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins. That He paid your penalty. You are a sinner, and your greatest need is a Savior. If you will but accept Him. Jesus is not here. He did not come to fulfill your dream, to make your life, this life, perfect. To make it turn out the way that, that you want it to turn out. He came to save you from your sins. Even this morning, will you turn from your sins and will you turn to Christ? Will you stop hoping in your works? Will you stop thinking that, that if I'm a good enough person, God will accept me? Will you stop thinking that if I do this or if I do that, God will accept me? There's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Trust in Him and Him alone for salvation, even today. Secondly, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, maybe you find yourself in a season of doubt, a season of life when you're overcome with doubts and with fears. I know myself how easy it is to fear and to doubt. I know that it was not easy for this official 
to leave Jesus, who, who, who he thought was the only one who could heal his son, to leave him and to turn around and to head home without Jesus. He had to believe. But that doesn't mean that on that walk back, doubts didn't creep in. Faith is not free of doubt. We've all doubted. We've all had, had moments of fear. But faith is free of crisis. Because when doubt creeps in, faith steps up and faith chooses to believe. It chooses to, to cling to that faith, to cling to Christ. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you are in Christ, if you're struggling with doubts and with fears, choose to believe. Think back to your salvation when you were first saved. When you first believed. Recount God's faithfulness to you day in and day out. Look forward in Christ to all that God has promised and choose to believe. Rejoice that you have a Savior who is greater than your doubts and fears. Rejoice that you have a Savior who will not let you go. I trust that this passage has been an encouragement to you this morning. It's been a challenge to you, as it has been to me this week. Jesus is not here to fulfill your hopes and dreams. He's not here to, to fix all your little problems. He's here to fix your greatest problem. That you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Trust Him. Continue to have faith. Choose to believe in Christ alone. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this morning for all that is ours in Christ. We praise you for the salvation that is ours by faith alone. And if there's anyone this morning who, who has heard this message from this passage and, and their eyes have been opened to their sin and their need of a Savior, may even this morning they turn to Christ. Father, if there's some who are already in Christ, who are struggling with doubts and fears this morning, may they choose to believe. Give us faith for another week, grace and mercy for another day. And may you be honored in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.